morning to the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 2. I want to minister for a few minutes from that uh, passage of Scripture. 1 Corinthians and chapter 2. You will especially want to be present in the evening service tonight. We'll have one of the most exciting announcements that we've had in a long, long time. So don't be absent. If you miss two services here, you never know what comes down while you're gone. So I forewarn you, you need to be here tonight. I uh, want to uh, share from this passage of Scripture. I was thinking uh, as I was uh, meditating on this uh, passage of Scripture, you've perhaps seen uh, some of the old Western flicks about uh, a dirty Dan that can shoot from the hip and catch anybody anywhere they're going. And uh, I've always been amused at that because uh, uh, that's seldom how life really is. And a lot of people have the idea that the Christian life is uh, kind of like that, that you're just walking along and no matter what happens, you can just respond and shoot from the hip and everything's going to come out all right. But the Christian life is not like that. And the Christian life cannot be lived shooting from the hip. You have to take dead aim. If you're going to hit anything. Can you say amen? amen? See, when people get baptized in water, what water baptism is, among other things, is a declaration that they're taking dead aim on living the Christian life. And if you don't take dead aim at anything, you seldom will hit anything. When people determine in their hearts that they're going to be tithers, they're going to give 10% of their income to God and they make that commitment. That means that they have to take dead aim and if they do not do that, they seldom will ever tithe. That's why when I preach on tithing, I get people to lift their hands. I have altar calls on tithing. I was in church one time and the preacher saw me do that. He, and he's an old retired preacher that I've never in my life ever seen anybody hold altar calls for tithing. Well, he didn't understand human nature. In human nature, you have to not only drive the nail in, but you have to bend it over on the other side and pound it down. You find out it pulls out. And so the Christian life is something that is lived, not shooting from the hip, but we have to determine in our heart that's what we're going to do, and we do it. You'll never survive temptation. Unless you make your mind up, you're not going to make any provision for the flesh, and you're going to live for God. If you don't have that determination, if you say, well, I don't know whether I'm going to, I don't know whether I can survive temptation or not, well, you'll never survive temptation. If you make any, any reservation, you say, well, you know, man, I'd never fornicate unless, uh, oh, you know, some hot chick came along, and I don't know what I'd do, then you'll fornicate. If you say, well, I'll never do any, any drugs unless some awesome Colombian gold came in. Man, how could you... Then you'll be smoking dope. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not eat the king's meat. And when it came opportunity, Daniel did not eat the king's meat because he'd made a determination beforehand. If you're going to be honest... You're honest whether people are watching you or whether people are not watching you. If you have morals, you are moral whether people are watching you or whether they're not watching you. 
but it's all a matter of making up your mind and having a determination in your mind. There are three places in the Bible, one of which we're going to use for text, when Paul talks about determination. In these three places, he uses a word, the Greek word krinos, which means a past decision having present actions. In other words, Paul says, I have made a past decision. That past decision computes out into present actions concerning my conduct. Or maybe another explanation for the word means that I have examined all the evidence. I have come to a verdict, and that verdict is, I've made up my mind, I'm determined that I'm going to take this course of action. And then Paul lived his life according to that course of action that took him into various circumstances and situations. And he speaks of this in 1 Corinthians 2, in the verse 5 verses, as I read these aloud, you follow me there. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So your face should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, Paul had a determination this morning in vision. He said, I've made a determination, and my vision is according to this term of determination. And his vision was that he was going to preach the gospel to the entire world. That's what his vision was, and that's what his determination was. Now, he had as many hassles as you and I do. You can read in the Scripture that, in, that uh, some of the uh, areas where he went, they hassled him over baptism. They said, Paul's not really an apostle. If he had been, he'd been baptizing people, but he lets other people baptize. That proves that he doesn't have any authority. Another place they said, Paul worked for a living for a while while he was here. And so that proves he's not really an apostle, because if he'd really been an apostle, he wouldn't have worked. And so he had a big hassle over that. In other places, uh, they said, man, uh, you know, Paul's letters uh, are really uh, tremendous letters. He has a real gift of writing, but he's a horrible preacher. And they were hassling him every place that he went. The others said, man, have you ever seen that guy? He's one of the most homely guys I've ever seen. And so Paul is hassled everywhere he goes. Uh, he runs into religious people that gives him all kinds uh, of hassle because there's a lot of diversions uh, in churches. Many times in the Christian life, our, our aim and our objective and our goal is swerved aside because we do not understand that the objective of every believer from the moment they are born again is to take the gospel into all the world and however or wherever that comes, we accept it. And we don't care what the guy looks like or what the people sound like or what kind of uh, education they have. None of those things are relevant. What we're interested in, are they ministering the gospel? of Jesus Christ. I was interested. My boy was telling me he's having a con conversation with, with, uh, with uh, one of the, uh, uh, in the local restaurant with one of the new converts and a backslider came in and started telling everybody what a, what a, what a 
the horrible creature that Pastor Mitchell was. And this new convert says, Well, when I met the beady-eyed little dude, I didn't like him either. <laughs> I mean, that really does something for your ego if you're, if you're interested in your ego. There's a lot of diversions in the world concerning the purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus said to his disciples, I want you to go, I want you to carry neither purse nor script nor shoes and salute no man by the way. Now he wasn't saying to them, I want you to be discourteous to the people you meet. But in those days, that, that greetings uh, took a great deal of time. And if you spent all your time in the long ritual of what was the social accepted standard of greeting, you'd spend all your time doing nothing but greeting people. And he says, you've got a mission. I don't want anything to take priority. I want you to understand that your mission is not to build social standing, but your mission is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, the church historically has been diverted from that mission. I was reading one time such an interesting story about the sanctuary of Dominicus. And there was a man called Dominicus Zimmerman. And he was an architect, and he built a church in the middle of the Bavarian forest, and he erected what was known as the Wieskirk. It was the finest example of Rococo architecture in all of Europe. And we're told that the white nave with the touches of gold and the richly colored sanctuary and the vivid ceiling fresco made the church in Dewey's an unforgettable visual experience. And so pleased was he with the finished product that he decided to leave the problems of Landsberg behind him and move to Wieskirk. And that was his abode for the rest of his life. No more political turmoil. No more citizens asking for doles. Now only pilgrims coming to admire and to worship as Dominicus, like a doting father, stood by. When I read that, I said, this is so like so many people that are touched by the power of God and God gives them a mission and that mission is evangelism and stirs their heart and their multitudes of Christianity that spend none of their time saying is even a refuge admiring and worshiping but they've forgotten the mission that God gave them when they got saved. You see, this morning, Paul had a determination in vision. He'd made up his mind. And as he made up his mind, he made up his mind that that vision that God gave him was going to be fulfilled. He was going to preach the gospel to the entire world. And he said in that passage of Scripture that we have, I determined not to know anything among you but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And he said in 1 Corinthians 1.17, Christ sent me to not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. You see, this morning, if you and I lose the vision, then if we have no burden for souls, if we lose the vision for souls, we're going to die automatically because you and I are given birth, and the reason we're given birth is to glorify God in bringing others the gospel 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything that is, uh, is uh, beside that, anything that's short of that, anything that diverts from that is a diversion that comes from the devil. And when we lose a vision for souls, my friend, we die. Now, I know there's a lot of slick doctrines that are being propagated today under the name of Christianity, and there are a lot of God's people that are being sucked into all kinds of different things that are making them feel good or causing them to, uh, to uh, want to understand this or understand that. But I declare to you this morning that when you and I are diverted from soul winning and the vision for souls, we have been deceived, and the devil has us well on the way to destruction. Paul said to Timothy, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called. And he said again to Timothy, But watch thou in all things endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Now it seems strange to us that the Apostle Paul should have to minister to Timothy and say to Timothy, who was born in the fire of evangelism, who saw the vision uh, that Paul bore and had listened to it for him to have to write to him and say, Timothy, I want you to know that you need to do the work of an evangelist. You see, if you and I this morning do not go beyond ourselves, we die. If all that we have in uh, Christianity is self-introspection, self-love, and we're constantly involved with ourselves and our own image and our own self-worth and all the things that go under the guise of Christianity but are actually modern pop psychology, we will die because God says our priority, number one, is to have a vision for souls. And there's something that happens in you and I uh, in, the turn, in the telling of the message and of the, of the declaration of the gospel that Paul speaks of in Romans 10, 6, when he says, But the righteousness, which is a faith speaketh on this wise, say not who shall ascend into heaven to bring Christ down from the above, or who shall descend into the deep to bring him up from the dead. But the word is nigh thee, even in thy heart and thy mouth, the word of faith which we preach, that if you believe in your heart on the Lord Jesus, and confess with your mouth that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with a heart man believes, but with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, he wasn't talking about uh, particularly the first time we get saved. He was talking about the entire scope of the Christian life. And when you and I cease to do that, my friend, something dies down inside. See, Paul had determined. He did not care where he was. He did not care what he was about. He did not care what the, the, the circumstances were in life. He determined in his life that regardless of what happened in life, he was going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was going to win soul. He was going to be a witness for the Son of God. And he had a vision that was given him of the Lord Jesus of world evangelism and reaching the world with the gospel and you know the story, as he was struck down between, uh, on the Damascus Road, and he says in his epistles, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Oh, may God move us this morning to understand 
that we are here this morning as God's children with a number one primary mission to reach the lost while we still have time. And anything else is a diversion from I don't care what else happens in our services. I don't care what kind of activities we may have. I don't care what kind of, of projection that we may have, what kind of fellowship. The, the all must be uh, made uh, secondary to the reaching of souls uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I've been in services where people, Holy! Oh! Wow! Boy, did we have a service. Oh, the Spirit really moved. Anybody get saved? Well, well, well. well, no, but man, did we ever have a service? Wow, we had... Anybody get saved? Well, no. Well, then where was the Father? Because where the Father is, there's some birthing transpires. And so what if we swing from the rafters? If fireballs run off the end of our fingers? If we can do somersets and flip-flops and whatever else we may have, if nobody is being saved and being changed and transformed, then it's all a waste of time. Because our business this morning, our vision, is the reaching of the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I ever caught once in a while, we had, a, we had a, one of our folks that ran into somebody and they said, uh, well, I'm not going to the Foursquare Church because I'm not being fed. The minute I hear that, it, my mind flashes back to when my oldest daughter was a little baby in a high chair. She had an aversion to spinach. She didn't like spinach. And there was a time, like when you saw in the film this morning or uh, yeah, uh, last Sunday morning, that she had to try the boundary. And so we had a law in our house, and that was that they eat everything on their plate, or they don't leave. No hassle, no big frustration. It's just the law. If you want to sit there all night, there's no problem. You're just going to finish. And so my wife was about other things. We were finished, and Karen was having trouble with her spinach. And so um, in the process of the evening, the spinach disappeared off the plate, and, um, and Karen got a pat on the head, good girl, and uh, we went on about our business. Her high chair was back in the corner. Next morning, my wife was uh, moving the high chair, and she saw the spinach. It was on the floor. My wife has always been an expert at child discipline. That's why she's the grandma up in the nursery. And so she brought Karen back in, set her down in her chair, and Karen ate the spinach. Say, <laughs> oh, that's cruel. Well, she doesn't uh, show any mental damage today. And so I always flash back on that when they say, uh, well, I'm not being fair. Well, it may be that there's some spinach coming over the pulpit that you don't want to eat. Because it isn't all sugar candy that comes out here. It isn't all sweetness and light. We're in the dirty business. 
of causing people to make heaven their home and find deliverance for their souls. And I want you to know that to bring that to pass, it means that certain things have to transpire in our life because it computes out in evangelism or an unfruitful church. And I'd rather have 50 people that are fruitful than 500 that are playing church. Because 50, meaning business, will soon grow into 500, no problem. But 500 playing church will grow into nothing. And so our business this morning is the reaching of the souls of men. And if there's no evangelism that's taking place, you and I are not doing what God is doing because God is reaching the lost. And what He's doing in this generation is taking out of the Gentiles a people for His name that has never changed. That is God's primary objective is the reaching of the lost. I was talking with a local Red Hot some time ago, and he was sitting down. I was listening a lot to him, and uh, he was telling me he'd been in town two years, and now he's ready to evangelize. So for two years, he's been proselyting. That's his main business. Now he's ready to start evangelizing. I got news for you. If you've been two years to try, try to evangelize, you're not at it now. You're not likely to get involved in it. And I'm going to tell you something about proselyting. It's, uh, they have a little game for it. When I used to be in the Air Force, they called it crap games. What it meant was that in the, when the lights went out at payday, they had dice games off in the farthest latrine from the officers' quarters and from the people in charge. That they could have just fantastic dice games without anybody hearing them. And so people would travel from dice game to dice game. And it was like, where's the, where, where's the hot game at? Well, it's over in Barrett's Beef. And so if that wasn't uh, too good, well, they'd say, where's the dice game? Well, it's over in Barrett's A. And they'd stay there for a while, and then it's over in Barrett's D. Well, there's a lot of people that are just moving from dice game to dice game. But I'm not involved in dice games this morning. I'm involved in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there are two kinds of people that won't be comfortable in this congregation. One of them is people that are not living clean. And the second are people who have no burden for souls. People who are not living clean can come in this congregation. I don't say they can't stay for a while. But I want you to know one thing. They've got a most god-awful struggle on their hands to sit in these assemblies and not feel miserable for being a sinner because the gospel is preached here and the Spirit of God brings conviction. The second is that if you're not actively involved in the business of evangelism, it isn't too long until you're feeling condemned because people are excited about evangelism and there's some pressure put on you to get involved in outreaches and evangelism and you're not going to feel comfortable unless you become involved. Hello. Someone said these words as I nail that down. All want of a missionary and evangelistic spirit is sickness of the soul. If there is in your church or in your heart or in your soul 
No vision, no burden for evangelism, no hungering to see the lost come to Christ, no burden to see people saved. If there is none that drives you, that motivates you, then you do not have the determination that Paul spoke of because Paul said, I am determined that the prime motive of my life will be to reach souls for Jesus Christ. Secondly, Paul had a determination to be happy. Now there's a, here in this thought, the roots for the common mistake of the human family. Someone has said the search for happiness is one of the chief reasons for unhappiness. The search for happiness is one of the chief reasons for unhappiness. And someone else has said we would be much happier with what we have if we were not so unhappy over what we don't have. And someone else has said that happiness is not a destination. Happiness is a mindset on the journey. And so, here's the major problem with the human race is that they feel that the circumstances or the environmental factors are the things that make them happy. What would make you happy this morning? If I were to ask you this morning, what would make you happy? Some of you say, if I just had about $1,000 would help right at the moment. No doubt your others here would say, if I had a new husband, it would really help. I'm sure there are several who would say, if I just had a new wife. And their children, there's no doubt saying, if I just had new parents, and vice versa. But see, when we come to the consideration of the subject of happiness, we're, we're dealing with uh, something that, is, uh, uh, that is, uh, seems to be transitory. I was reading a book one time, and in this book, as a matter of fact, the name of that book was It Happiness is a Choice. And in this book, it, the man re relates that in dealing with alcoholics, for instance, he found that alcoholics' wives, when their alcoholic husbands are healed and they're no longer alcoholics, that they will divorce their husbands and marry another alcoholic. Because it meets a neurotic need in their life to be unhappy. Isn't that strange? In other words, they like to be miserable. And so they can't stand to be happy. And so when their husband straightens up and he's, a, and, and he, and he's living for God and, and he's clean, they can't stand that. They divorce him and marry another Alcoholic. Now, I found that uh, that's not 100% true, but I began to discover a number of years ago that in pastoring, women sometimes come crying, Oh, pray for me, my husband's such a dirty bird. I can't stand it another minute. Pray for me, and I'll be able to hold out the end. That scoundrel won't come to church. He don't want to get saved. Pow! God saves the husband. Man, he gets full of the whole to live for God. Wife just quits. Makes her so mad. Took away all the source of joy of her whole life to be miserable and let other people know that she's miserable. <laughs> that blow your mind? That's true. That happens in a lot of cases. Because we as human beings have a strange kink in our spirit uh, 
And uh, I'm striking at the very roots of uh, because many people have made up their mind that they're going to be unhappy and they, 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 they become prophets that fulfill their own prophecy. I was reading about Thomas Edison, the man that had invented the telephone, the telegraph, and the, the incandescent light, and a number of things. Just, just tremendous. It was, uh, his whole, whole factory and plant was burning down. He was, he was on up in years. And, uh, and uh, here's everything that he's worked for. Here's everything that he has. Here are uh, thousands of, of into inventions and masses of information that's involved uh, in uh, this plant. It's being destroyed. It's being wiped out. And so his son came running to find his father because he was, uh, he was fearful that his father would die of a broken heart and he came running to find his father. And as soon as he came where his father was watching the fire, his father came running up to him and said, Where's Ma? Go get her, son. Tell her to hurry up and bring her friends. Uh, she'll never see a fire like this as long as she lives. And as soon as the fire died down or before the embers even cooled, he called together his employers, employees and said to them, We're going to build again because Edison had found a secret in life and that secret was a secret of Paul. Happiness is a choice. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2, 1 and 2. But I determined, there's that word again, this was myself, that I would not come to you again in heaviness. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad but the same which is made sorry by me? Now, Paul was saying, he said, I'm not going to come to you again in heaviness. Because if, he says, if I make you unhappy, who's going to make me happy? In other words, Paul had discovered something in life, and he's writing to the Corinthians, and he discovered that happiness is contagious. Please stop the tape now. Turn it over and start the tape at the beginning of side two. And if they get in your area, you can just look out. They're business. They're miserable, and they want to make you miserable. And so they can't wait to dump on you. You need to mark people like that. I'm going to tell you, the minute, if I have to associate with them, the minute they come around me, I, uh, I start a strategy. I, I outmaneuver them. <laughs> because one of the keys to happiness is making other people happy. Abraham Lincoln said that he discovered that people are just about as happy as they've made up their mind to be. Now listen to what I'm saying this morning. Paul said, I made my mind up, Krenos, I've examined the evidence of life, I've come to a verdict, and that verdict is I'm going to be happy. I don't care what happens in life. He said, I've got plenty of reason. And he really did. If you read the, read the epistles to the Corinthians, he had plenty of reason to be unhappy. 
But he said, I found one of the keys to happiness is making others happy. And so he said, I'm going to make you happy. And this, I've got this book in my, in my offer. And the, 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 the title of the book is actually titled, Happiness is a Choice. And that's true. I know that by experience. Happiness is a choice. We make a decision of our wills. And that decision of our wills is we're going to be happy. And then we live and we take action aimed at that. This is, you know, happy is not something that you're just strolling through life and suddenly you shoot from the hip. And if you have a good shot, you're going to be happy. If you're going to be happy, you have to take dead aim. You know what taking dead aim is? That means that you lean it up against a tree, put the ball right in the slot. And don't wigger a nerve and pull the trigger. And you're going to get it. Whatever it is you're shooting at. If he hadn't moved. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. He said, we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're cast down, but we are not destroyed. Now, Paul had made a decision, and that decision was, I am going to be happy. And he lived his life with that philosophy being expressed. Listen to him in Philippians 4. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these This was his lifestyle. Him and Silas are down in a Philippian prison. They're bound hand and foot. Rats are nibbling at their feet. There's a thousand excretions from human bodies that are smelling the place up. Fleas are no doubt crawling in their hair. And there they stand. And the Bible says they begin to sing praises unto God because Paul had made a decision. He's going to be happy. Now this morning, how you live depends on this decision that you've made. He said, Another place I've learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Listen to David. My soul is among lions, and I lie even among them that are set on fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue is a sharp sword. Catch a vision of that. Here, here's David, and he said, I'm living among thee. It's like living a bunch of, among a hungry lion. Or their teeth are like swords and spears. But he says, they have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They've digged a pit before me into the midst whereof they have fallen themselves. My heart is fixed. Oh, God, my heart is fixed. I will sing praise and give praise. Awake up, my glory. Awake, psaltery and heart. I myself will awake early. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nation. I mean to tell you, there is a determination. Here's David. He said, it's like living in a dead of hungry lions. It's like everybody that I talk to have got swords and spears for teeth. Their tongue's like a sharp razor. But he said, I'm going to sing and praise God. I'm going to be happy. Did you ever meet anybody and say, I'm tired of people. Well, join the human race. People are people. So what? There are always going to be people till Jesus comes and changes the scene. But I'm going to live for God. 
I'm going to be happy. I'm going to have victory. And when Jesus comes, uh, the Lord helping me, I'm still going to be saved. The Australians have a philosophy that may not too, be too bad. And the Australians say, no matter what comes, not to worry, mate, she be right. <laughs> what that means is, so what? Who gives a rip? Well, that's hard to do in our own human strength and personality. But in God, we can make a determination. And Paul said, I have determined to be happy. I want to conclude with one thought. And that is also used by Paul, and that's a determination to stand for God. To understand this, we have to give a little background of the setting of the epistle of Titus. The epistle of Titus was written by the Apostle Paul from the city of Nicopolis. This was a major city, 250 miles from the city of Rome. And in Rome, the Christians had become obnoxious to the Roman authorities. Nero, who was a sexual pervert, homos are notorious firebugs, had burned half the city of Rome, and uh, in doing so, he blamed it on the Christians, uh, and the Christians were undergoing horrible persecution. And the Christians were not very popular at that period of time. And uh, Nicopolis was a city that was founded by Augustus Caesar. And the city was founded as a permanent memorial to one of the great Roman victories. And the name Nicopolis actually means city of victory. Now, this is the background on that. So here's a place filled with Roman pride. And you can imagine that with this mindset of the Roman Empire, the officials are, 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 are really down on Christians. They, uh, they don't have any popularity at all. They, they, the whole uh, fiasco of Rome burning was blamed on the Christian, and so a tremendous persecution is going on. And uh, Christians weren't very well thought of in the city of Nicopolis. That is a result of that was taking place in Rome. They had, they had somewhat of a similar uh, sentiment that they have towards Sam Atkinson when he takes his bloody cross and goes down and greets the Christmas program in Prescott on Christmas. I mean, they really get turned on. They were really turned on about these Christians. Only there they were killing them. And so out of the setting of this, follow me now, out of the setting of this, Paul is writing the epistle to Titus. As a matter of fact, probably the... The city of Nicopolis is the place that Paul was arrested before winter and he's taken to prison in Rome. But he writes the epistle to Titus and he's determined not to run. And he says these words in, the, in the Titus, I have determined to winter at Nicopolis. Now follow me for a moment. Here's the specter. A persecution is hung over Paul. Probably Alexander the coppersmith. There's reason to believe that he had to, that he had given evidence or testimony. He was a backslider, and he did what backsliders always do. 
And he apparently had uh, involved uh, Paul in some of the blame of the, of the burning of Rome. And there's reason to believe that he'd given testimony and Paul, even in that moment, might have been a wanted man. But listen to his words. I have determined to winter at Nicopolis. Now, this is a major thoroughfare. There's people coming and going. The trades of the Roman Empire are there. Paul is a wanted man. Christians are not popular. As a matter of fact, they're being, they're being persecuted. They're being beaten to death. They're being crucified. They're being, uh, uh, they're, and so the specter of, uh, of persecution fa- uh, 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 runs over Paul, and he perhaps faced charges that had been as, uh, uh, inspired by Alexander the coppersmith. But he stood in Nicopolis, and he said, I am determined, I've made my mind up, I have a mindset, my heart is fixed, I will not run, I'm going to winter, I'm going to spend the winter here at Nicopolis, right in the heat. Now, there was a reason that he did this. The reason he did this is that Nicopolis had access to the entire Roman Empire and the places that were strategic at that time that he was dealing with. And Paul is involved in strategic evangelism and he will not give ground. He knows what he's facing. He knows he may face the lions. He knows he may face uh, uh, the martyr's death. But he stands and he writes, uh, and we're going to read it in a moment, and he said, I'm going to spend the winter here. I'm not running. In Titus two, three, uh, Titus three, rather twelve and thirteen, he says these words: "When I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Titicus, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to winter. Bring Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting unto them." Paul is here in Nicopolis. The flames of Rome have died down. Christians are being beaten to death, martyred, fed to the lions, uh, and facing the gladiator's death. And Paul is standing under the threat of the sword, and he says, I will not move. I've made a determination to stand. And the reason he did that was that he was in a strategic spot in Nicopolis, and he was in it, even at that moment in the face of all the opposition and the persecution laying plans for an all-out assault in the very face of Nero's insanity for the kingdom of God. Oh, beloved, we need that kind of mind. Are you listening to me this morning? We need the kind of mind that we make our minds up. We do not care what may come. We do not care, but we're going to stand for God. And the moment that you make your mind up, you may not be the Apostle Paul. You may not be a strategic person in the kingdom of God as far as the overall plan. But I declare to you that the minute you make your mind up, like Paul made his mind up, you are going to have something of strength to stand. And you've come a long way. In the kingdom of God. It was the Apostle Paul who said another place, I am set, Philippians 1.17, for the defense of the gospel. Now he saw something that many Christians do not see. When he said, I am set for the defense of the gospel, it is, this is a, a, a military term, and it's like a, a captain of the guard taking his men, marching them, and leaving one at this post, relieving the guard, relieving another one, taking and leaving a guard, and it's like the relieving of the guard and the setting of the watch. Now, that's what he was talking about. When he said, I'm set for the defense of the gospel, he's like, I'm a soldier 
set by Jesus Christ in my place, and I will not move even if I be overrun. In the Yom Kippur War, when we were there in the nation of Israel, our guide was telling us that as Israel was caught unawares by the attack of the Arab nations in October of 1973, the majority of their forces were worshiping in their home synagogues and were visiting. They never dreamed that the enemy would attack on such a holy day. And many of their young men were there on the Golan Heights, and a great army of tanks began to descend, as great an army as Rommel had in North Africa in World War II, began to run against them, and they were defenseless. Many of those Israeli soldiers who were set there as a guard with hand grenades in their bare hands tried to stop those tanks and paid with their life because they understood loyalty to a cause. Now, Paul is using that kind of language, and he says, I am set for the defense of the gospel. And this is why he would say in Titus, I have determined to winter at Nicopolis. He said, I've determined not to run. That doesn't mean that Superman is going to step out of a phone booth and deliver you. Are you listening to me? Say, well, I'm going to make up my mind that I'm going to stick by what God's called me to. My friend, that doesn't mean that when the bullets come and the enemy comes in, that the Superman is going to step out and deliver you out of the phone booth. See, Paul was not delivered out of the Roman prison. Before winter was through, he was in a Roman prison. And before many months had passed, Paul had paid with his life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But from that prison in Rome, the same indomitable spirit is in him, the same determination that he's going to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And he writes to Timothy, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but the Lord stood by me. But that same determination was in his heart that he was going to stand and he was not going to run. Listen to him in Second Timothy. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me at that day, and not to me only, but also all them that love his appearance. When he says, I fought the fight, he's talking about the Olympic struggle. That's what, this is the term that he was using. I have fought a good fight. He was talking about not just a little skirmish, not just a little display. He was talking about the Olympic struggle, the all-out contest, where a man put everything he had into it. And he says, this is the kind of battle that I'm fighting for the gospel of Jesus Christ because I have a determination and that determination is to stand. You have that kind of determination this morning? You going to live for God? See, as a pastor, I have the unhappy circumstance many times of families that are divided. One wants to live for God. One won't live for God. There isn't any answer for that. I wish I had a solution, had a formula. I could turn to page 39 of my book of counseling, which I don't have. 
And uh, say A, B, C, D, F, G, A. And if you'll do that, everything's going to... I can't tell that. Because many times it doesn't work out all that. I see people that sometimes are seized with various problems in life. Sometimes there's tests of sickness. Sometimes there's tests of employment. Sometimes there's tests of their own family. Some There's all kinds I can't say to you. that I have the answer to the outcome of your circumstance, but I can tell you one thing, that if you have the same determination that Paul has, the same krinos, the same mindset, the same fixing of your heart, then I can tell you that someday it can be written of you, as Paul wrote of himself, I've fought the good fight. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. See, the fruit of that is found in Scripture. I'm going to have to close quickly, but I'll just mention Anisiphorus, who Paul had inspired by his testimony, and he said, He's not ashamed of my chain. See, Paul's steadfastness inspired other believers with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he could write that the gospel's being preached. Some are preaching the gospel of contention. Some are preaching the real gospel. But whether or no, by my example, I so stirred them that the gospel is being preached. He writes in another place that my fellows have been made bold by my chain. Paul was determined this morning to stand. There's an ancient story concerning an Athenian soldier who, when Athens was in the crucial hour of defense and the populace was rallied to arms, the soldier had been crippled in one leg in time past, but he rallied to the defense of his city. As he came out hobbling on one leg, his fellow soldiers began to deride him and mock him and say, Look at you, what can you do? You can't even run. He answered back, I did not come to run. I came to fight. Someone has written this morning, Only wicked servants can stand still looking on while their master storms the hill. You see, this morning in life there is a necessity for determination. If you're going to live in life shooting from the hip, you're not likely to hit anything in living for Jesus Christ. But to live the Christian life means we have made past decisions. And those decisions are, I'm going to live for God. I do not care. And that computes out into present actions in life. While every head is bowed this morning, our hearts are before the presence of the Lord. God's love and grace ministers in this assembly. And the grace of God speaks to us. First of all, I would like to speak to those who do not know this Jesus. I may have been talking this morning language that you did not fully comprehend. You can't understand how anybody could be strong inside. That they could face morals, they could face drugs, they could face persecution, they could face disappointment, they could face heart acts, and still stand strong and have something inside. I want you to know 
that people all over this building were never like that before Jesus Christ came into their lives. But one day, just like this morning when we're gathered here, they made a decision. That decision was that they were going to open their heart. And that day something inside of them transpired. Something came into them that was na not native to them. And that was an inner strength through the receiving of Jesus Christ as their personal Savior that made them what they are today. There are people all over this building this morning that at one time were weak and vacillating. That at one time when the pressure was on, they split. They'd quit any job that there was any conflict on. They'd break any relationship that there was any pressure or any friction. But one day Jesus Christ came into their lives and from that moment they have never been the same. They made a decision. That decision was a decision to serve God whatever and that determination began to lay hold of their heart and Christ became a reality in their lives and they began to live for God in a strong determination. I'm talking to people this morning that need that decision. Some of you are here, you've never been born again. You've never accepted Jesus Christ. And you need the decision that I'm talking about. And you'd like to have that strength. Something that I'm talking about. Some of you perhaps are bound with habits. Some of you perhaps are bound with things that no one even knows about and you wouldn't want anybody else to know about. I want you to know that Jesus Christ can set you free. He can give you what we call a backbone. He can give you an inner strength if you put, trust Him and rely upon Him this morning. But the decision must be made by you. The Bible says this morning that to as many as received Him, Jesus Christ, to them gave He power to become the sons of God or the daughters of God or the children of God, even to them that believe on His name. God loves you this morning, and Christ died for your sins. And I'm wondering, before we change this service, our hearts are open. How many sitting here this morning would say to me, Pastor Mitchell, I really need Jesus Christ to come into my life. My heart's not right with God. Maybe you've once known the Lord, but you're far from Him this morning, and you want to get your heart right with God. You want to make a quality decision this morning, and that decision is a decision to serve God, whatever may come. You need God. I want you to know you can go out of this building clean, you can go out of this building made whole. You can go out of this building forgiven. You can go out of this building transformed. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. I wonder, before I change the order of the service to another invitation, how many would lift their hands and say, I need God this morning, Pastor. My heart's not right, but I'd like to get saved. I really want Jesus to come into my heart, come into my life. Would you lift your hand there where you're sitting? I'm not asking you to join this church. I'm asking you to make a decision for Jesus Christ. Would you slip that hand uh, right up where you're sitting? Maybe you're a backslider. Maybe you've never been born again. I'm not, I'm not uh, soliciting members of this church. I'm asking people to make a decision for Jesus Christ. How many would lift your hand where you're there as a signal to me, a signal to God? Say, Pastor, would you pray for me this morning? I need God. I want to make a decision for God. Pray for me this morning. Would you slip it right up? All over the building, how many would there be? Lift your hand right there where you're seated. Say, Pastor, pray for me this morning. I need God. All over the building this morning, hearts are open. God is moving by His Spirit. 
There's decisions being made this morning to live for God or not live for God. You need help this morning. You need to just lift your hand as a signal to God. Say, Pastor, pray for me this morning. I need God. Would